Good morning, everyone. Great to see you here this morning. I don't know if you picked up um, the news sheet that you're given on the way, but there's a prophetic word there that uh, I think Peter had given earlier in the week, and just a line that jumped out at me when I read it earlier. It's in the last paragraph. I am preparing a new wineskin as the wind of my spirit begins to blow across the church. That quickened something in my heart. That excited me because I really believe we're living in a time where God is reshaping his church so that we can connect with the world. It's wonderful to hear all those testimonies this morning, and we're encouraged by it, but I believe that people outside of the church need to hear the amazing things that our God does for us. Do you agree? Yeah, just look at the screen for a moment and... uh, Something that uh, Elias put on the encouragement app this morning, which I thought was, wow. Just watch this. Excuse me, everybody. Before we get off this plane, I just want to let everybody know that Jesus Christ loves you, and he has a plan, and he has a purpose for your life. Bring it. In in, uh, February of 2021, Jesus Christ delivered me from a lifestyle of homosexuality, anxiety, depression, pornography. My wife, Jesus Christ, delivered her from drugs like LSD, weed, ecstasy, in a lukewarm Christian lifestyle. So we want to let everybody know if he could do it for nobody like me, he could do it for anybody in this world. You know, the most important question you can ask yourself, my brothers and sisters, is if you were to die today, are you going to heaven or are you going to hell? And the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. If you see the stuff that's going on in this world today, all the craziness that's going on, Jesus Christ is coming back really soon. So I want to encourage you guys to repent of your sins before it's too late. And one more thing, my brothers and sisters, a lot of people feel like they got to become perfect before they come to Christ. No, you come to Christ the way that you are. He has the power in his hands to cleanse you from all sin. So I want to bless y'all with that word. Y'all have a great day. I love you, brother. How many of you could or would do that? I mean, just bring it a bit now home. Would you stand up on the bus and do that? It's okay on a plane because, well, if the plane crashes, I need to know that I'm going to heaven, you know. And he had a captive audience, didn't he? All just getting ready. But, wow, a guy whose life had been radically transformed by Jesus took the opportunity to share. Just want to put on the screen something that I want to talk about this morning. Okay, this is it. We either evangelize or we fossilize. I wonder how many of you this morning are fossils? How many of you are evangelists? I'm just feeling increasingly stirred in my spirit. We had with us uh, just a few weeks ago uh, a lovely guy, Daniel Holland, who runs a ministry called Through Faith Mission. And um, he's written a book called Prophetic Evangelism. And right in the outset of this book, he tells this story. He'd been in London, had a busy day, and he says, London always wears me out. I'm tired. He was at King's Cross Station, just boarding his train, looking forward to sitting down and just being able to shut his eyes and to rest and to recover a bit on his journey back to Cambridgeshire. As he was getting on the train, he looked and he was passing passengers, and there sitting on one of the seats, looking out of the window, was a woman with tears streaming down her face. And all of a sudden, he just felt God say, you've got to speak to her. But he wasn't sure what to say. And then suddenly these words came into his mind, God has not forgotten you. And he simply stopped and he leaned over and said, excuse me, God has not forgotten you. He was expecting maybe some 
rebuke or, or some words of rejection. And as the tears streamed down this woman's face, she looked up at him and she mouthed, thank you, thank you. He said, I didn't know what her story was. He said, I didn't know if her marriage was breaking up. I didn't know whether something was going wrong in her home life or if she'd been made redundant. He said, I had no idea. But he said, I just felt God prompted me to say those words. God has not forgotten you. He went and sat down on his seat, never thinking that he'd ever see her again until a long time later. I don't know how the story ends because I haven't finished reading the book yet. But it just challenged me that God wants to position us to be a people who are able to bring his word at an appropriate moment in people's lives as we go about our daily living. So let's think about this together this morning. Looking at you, I don't sense anybody is fossilized this morning. But I can't really tell if you're evangelized. But let's just think a little bit about this from the Word of God this morning. The word evangelist only occurs three times in the Bible. In Acts 21 verse 8, Philip is described as the evangelist. And um, Jeff read to us this morning from the wonderful King James. Did you pick up the these and the thous? He loves the King James. But that amazing narrative of Philip who God sent to the Chancellor of the Exchequer of Ethiopia, who was reading the Old Testament from Isaiah 15. He didn't understand what it was about. And Philip shared the gospel, and the man came to know Jesus, and they were baptized. Amazing God encounter. Philip was an evangelist, the scripture says. In Ephesians 4, verse 11, it talks about the evangelist as one of the fivefold ministry gifts that are given to the church the pastor, the teacher, the prophet, the apostle, the evangelist. But then also, Paul says to Timothy, in 2 Timothy 4, verse 5, he says, Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. They're the only times in the Bible where we have this word evangelist mentioned. But in the Greek language, the word literally means to proclaim or to bring good news. Now, you might be familiar with this verse that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 52. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those messengers who bring good news, the good news of peace and salvation. Now, the context here was in Bible times, particularly in the Old Testament, news was carried by runners. And from a city, particularly if there was war going on, they would look for a runner who came and hoped that that runner would bring good news. So that's why it says, how beautiful are the feet of them who bring good news. But Isaiah says, the best news to bring is the peace that comes through the good news of God's salvation. But then also we find in... Uh, the book of Isaiah 61, where it speaks about the Holy Spirit anointing Jesus. This is a prophetic word about Jesus, but it also applies to us. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me to bring good news to the poor. Jesus reminded his disciples, he said, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, not just the Jewish people that you mix and mix with, uh, meet and mix with as good Jews, but all nations. The gospel is for everyone. And also, Jesus said that when you get into trouble, when you are arrested for sharing the good news about me, this will be your opportunity for the good news must first be preached to all 
nations. So this reminds us that evangelism or witnessing is not just for a select group of people. It's not just the pastor. It's not just for those like Vic who are really extrovert and once they start talking, they never stop talking. You know, some people have this amazing gift just to, to speak and confidently and they don't mind who it is. No, being a witness is a ministry that we are all called to if we own Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And the overriding purpose of God's church on earth is to bring the good news of Jesus to those who don't know it. The church is about being a family, but it's about a family that's constantly growing by people coming to join with us and hearing the good news. There was a young man who decided on one occasion he was going to be a monk. And so he left his family and he went and joined this monastery. After a few weeks, the abbot called him in the office and said, right, it's your turn to stand up at prayers in the morning and to give a little sermonette. So that night he went to bed and he prayed and he prayed and just to get some inspiration. The next morning he arrives and all the monks file in and it's Monk John, as his name was, his turn. So he goes up in the little pulpit and he sings sees a sea of faces and his mind goes blank. He'd forgotten everything he prepared. And so he says, does, does anybody know what I'm going to say this morning? And they all looked at him and they said, no. And he says, neither do I. And he sat down. Well, the abbot called him in the office and said, that's not good enough. You have got to give a little sermon. You will do it tomorrow morning. So he spends the night praying, trying to get some inspiration. The next morning, they all file into the chapel, and he goes up into the little pulpit, and he looks out, and his mind goes blank. And he says, does anybody know what I'm going to say this morning? And they all look at him, and they say, yes. He says, oh, that's good. I don't need to say it. And he sat down. The abbot has him in the office. He says, right, you will do it tomorrow morning. If you don't do it tomorrow, you're out. You will leave this monastery. So the poor guy spends the night trying to get inspiration. Next morning, they file into the chapel. Monk John goes up into the little pulpit, looks at a sea of faces, and his mind goes blank. He says, does anybody know what I'm going to say this morning? Everybody on this side said, yes. Everyone on this side said, no. So he said, that's good. Those who know, tell those who don't know. <laughs> that's what we're called to. That's what being a witness is all about, telling those who don't know because you know. Let me remind you what the church is for. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a great pastor who was executed because he dared to stand against Adolf Hitler. He said the church is, the, is only the church when it exists for others. It's great to come here on a Sunday morning. It's important to come here. It's great to worship Jesus. It's wonderful to be family. But if that's all we're about, we're missing the point. It's for those who don't know. William Temple, he was the Archbishop of Canterbury many, many years ago, and he said this, the church is the only society that exists for the benefit of those who are not members. And more up-to-date, Nicky Gumbel said, churches are not museums that display perfect people. They're hospitals where the wounded, hurt, injured and broken 
can find healing. That's the heart of the gospel. That's why you and I are called to share the gospel. And Jesus said, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. There will never be enough, there will never be a time when there are enough workers. That's why we're here as the church of Jesus Christ. At our away day, a couple of weeks back now, it was wonderful to have Steve Lee with us. And he quoted something by Billy Graham, and I thought, that sounds good. So I looked it up, and I found the whole quote. And this is what Billy Graham once said. The evangelistic harvest is always urgent. The destiny of men and nations is always being decided. Every generation is crucial. Every generation is strategic. But we cannot be held responsible for the past generation, and we cannot bear full responsibility for the next one. However... We do have our generation. God will hold us responsible at the judgment seat of Christ for how well we fulfilled our responsibility and took advantage of our opportunities. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? So I want us to go to Romans chapter 1. We're going to look at just a few verses here that the Apostle Paul, as he writes to these folks in Rome, and I'm going to put it on the screen, but it's Romans 1, 14 through to 17, if you want to follow it in your Bible. And this is what Paul says. He says, For I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and to the rest of the world, to the educated and the uneducated alike. So I'm eager to come to you in Rome too to preach the good news. For I'm not ashamed of this good news about Jesus Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. The book of Romans is Paul's letter to a group of Christians living in Rome whom he had never met. On the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, you may remember that there were people gathered in Jerusalem from many different nations. And there were actually people there at that time from Rome. And it's believed that when Peter stood up and preached the gospel on that day of Pentecost, that people from Rome were wonderfully converted. They came to know the truth of Jesus and they went back to Rome and they planted a church, as others did from other places. So Paul writes this letter to encourage them, to strengthen them, to teach them some vital truths about the Christian faith. Romans is a great book of the Bible. He reminds them of the sinfulness of mankind, but how that there is forgiveness available through Jesus and what he did for us on the cross and by his resurrection. He says that without faith in the good news of Jesus, there's no hope in life. And many times Paul had planned to come to Rome to visit them, but up until that moment he'd been prevented. And so he has this burning desire to write this letter to them, to encourage them. And he says, I want to get to you one day. But what he says in these few words that he wrote 2,000 years ago, it's just as relevant to you and to me today. And let's look at it. First of all, we discover Paul's obligation. He says, I have a great sense of obligation to all people. 
This word obligation literally means to be in somebody's debt. How many of you have an obligation to a building society because you have a mortgage? You know what it's like, don't you? Particularly recently when they've been hiking their rates up. But you understand what it means. We, we have debts. Some of you have an obligation to a credit card company. Your obligation might be a bit bigger than it should be. But we understand what it means to be in debt. It's very often how we live our lives nowadays. Because they tell you, you can have today. You don't have to wait for it. Have it today. And this instant age encourages us to live a life where we're in debt. But Paul uses this word obligation literally to describe the fact that he felt indebted. He was in the debt of these people who didn't know about Jesus. He believed that he owed everyone the opportunity to hear the gospel. Maybe he felt guilty because before he came to Christ, he persecuted Christians. He had them put in prison. When Stephen was martyred, Paul stood there approvingly of those who stoned Stephen to death. And he said, look, I'll look after your coats and your, your baggage. You get on with stoning this man who speaks about Jesus. So Paul carried this sense of debt, having come to know the truth of Jesus. He says, I want everybody to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he often used this word obligated in Romans 8 verse 12. He teaches that we have no obligation to sin anymore. If you're a Christian, you don't have to sin anymore. That's what he says. Because the Holy Spirit empowers us to live a different kind of life. We're not obligated to sin anymore. We're not slaves to sin anymore is what he says in Romans 8. But then he also says... Don't owe anybody anything except your obligation to love one another. Now turn to the person next to you, eyeball to eyeball, preferably not your husband or wife, and say, I love you in the name of Jesus. That's good. Now you might not like the person you're sitting near but you've got to love him or her that's a commandment of the bible and paul says don't be in anybody's debt except the continuing debt to love one another we are obligated to love each other because that's an expression of the gospel because god loves the whole world and if you're going to behave like god if you're going to be jesus then you're obligated to love all people. No prejudice, no class distinction. We are obligated to love all people. And then Paul says in Romans 15 verse 27, he says, before I visit you in Rome, I've got an alarum to do. I must take an offering which the Gentile believers in Macedonia and Acacia have willingly taken up for the believers in Jerusalem because they feel they owe them a debt of gratitude. These Macedonians... These people in Acacia, they were grateful to the Christians in Jerusalem for bringing the gospel to them. And, and he says, they feel indebted to them, and so I've got to take an offering that they've given. So Paul uses this word obligation on many occasions. Do you remember how Jesus used it? When the disciples said, teach us to pray, Jesus said, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. It's the same meaning. So I want you to turn to 
one or two people near you and just answer this question. How obligated or how indebted do you feel towards those who don't know Jesus? It's a big question. Come on, just talk to each other. How do you feel about that? Be honest. How obligated or indebted to you, do you feel towards those who don't know Jesus? Okay, we won't dwell on that too much because that's a difficult question. But it's one we need to ask, to be honest. You see, Jesus felt a huge sense of obligation when he said, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. In other words, he's saying there's an opportunity. And we need to take that opportunity because we carry an obligation. Whenever that opportunity arises, to share the good news. And Paul's obligation motivated him to always be trying to share the good news about Jesus. He said to the Christians in Corinth, he said, we're going to all stand before Christ one day to be judged. We'll all receive whatever we deserve, the good or evil we've done in our earthly body. And because of this, because we understand our fearful responsibilities to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others because the love of Christ urges us to do so. He carried that constant sense of obligation. We need to carry that too. But look at these verses again in Romans 1. Not only does he have a sense of obligation, but also Paul has a great sense of passion. Because he says, I'm eager to preach the good news. Generally, what we're passionate about is what we spend most of our time doing. So if you're like Sarah, she's passionate about sleeping at the moment. And uh, thank God that he's answered her prayers. Some people are passionate about football. You know, they can't stop getting enough of it. What you invest most of your time in indicates what you're passionate about. Because passion is when you feel something. Compassion is when you're motivated to do something about what you feel. So how much passion do we feel about sharing the good news of Jesus to those who don't know? Why do you think Jesus said, the harvest is great but the workers are few? I'll tell you why. Because... A sentence before he spoke those words, this is what he said. He had compassion on them, the people. Because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So he said to his disciples, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. It was the compassion of Jesus that motivated him to want to share the good news. Our world is no different today world is confused like the people were confused that Jesus recognized in his day. Our world is filled with hopelessness and helplessness. It's all around us. 
Sanjay sent me a video just a little time ago, uh, and it was about a, a pastor speaking in relationship to Pride Month that happened during the month of June. And, and he was giving a response to it. And this pastor who, who leads the church, Abide Church, out in uh, Oklahoma, I think it was, uh, he made this comment, which I found really quite telling. He says, the tolerance of the modern church has led to sinful indoctrination of our communities. There is no place for Christian cowards in this day and age. We need biblical clarity in a sexually confused world. Our world is confused. It's confused about identity. It's confused about sexuality. It's confused about relationships. We live in a world that is terribly confused. But Jesus shows us the truth. The Bible is filled with truth. And we are those who should be able to speak prophetically into a confused world and lead people to know the truth that sets them free. And Paul was passionate about this. But how do we engage with a culture that is largely ignorant of God's love? I was thinking about this recently, and I was thinking, I'd love greater opportunities to somehow share a little word with people about Jesus. What, what would help? And I came up with an idea. If you think it's good, tell me afterwards. If you'd like this, then. I came up with the idea of a little card. You know, sort of like business cards? A little card that simply had a heart on it, maybe a smiley face, and simply said, God loves you and he knows you. And then on the other side, a verse of scripture that simply says, I pray that God who gives hope will bless you with complete happiness and peace through Jesus Christ. Paul said that. You could have it all manner of ways. Could be just a very simple card like that. But when, you, when you're at the checkout, paying for your goods, just to say, can I give you this? Would something like that help you? Would it overcome the hesitation that, that sometimes we feel? We feel a sense of obligation. We feel, yeah, I, I want to talk to you about Jesus. But how do I open up that door? And I just thought, would something like that help? Just to give it to people where it seemed an appropriate moment, just to, and it's not saying who we are or anything like that. It's good to have some kind of reference to the church website so people could perhaps follow it up in some way. But if you think something like that could help, and we could design it in many different ways, but I, just a few weeks ago, it just came to me that maybe something, because we live in a hostile world, we live in such a secular world, and to open up a conversation to do what that guy did on the plane and then people saying I love you brother I love your sister well America the culture is very different there's still an openness to talking about the gospel but it's so closed today and we need kind of keys that will open up the way tell me afterwards if you think this would help we could get a load of something like this produced that you could just have and maybe use in appropriate occasions you see, if Jesus literally walked this earth today, do you think he'd be eager and passionate to join us on a Sunday? 
Gosh, obviously you don't. Well, Jesus as a good Jew went to the synagogue every Sabbath. That was the right thing to do if you were a Jew. But the rest of the week he was where the people were. So how might that translate today for us? Well, believe it or not, he might well be down the local pub talking to people about the water of life that satisfies the deepest human needs. Or he could be on the football pitch coaching young boys and girls and men about the best goals in life. Or he might be on the high street standing outside the shops telling people about possessions that have eternal value. Or he could be in Tesco's or Greg's talking about the bread of life. Or for the guys, he might be at Screwfix telling you how to fix life's problems. I think that's how Jesus would be. He would be going out of his way to make appropriate connections with people in everyday life. And Paul was passionate about getting to Rome to share the gospel. Where does your passion take you? Because wherever your passion takes you, that's your front line. Wherever you spend most of your time in the course of a week, that's your front line. And that's the place where God, by his spirit, will give you opportunities to share the love of Christ. Finally, Paul's obligation, Paul's passion, but then Paul's conviction. He says, I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. He says, I'm not ashamed. Do you know what shame does? It causes you to hide. If you go back to the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible says they, their eyes were open, they sewed fig leaves together, they hid because they were ashamed. Shame makes you hide. Sin exposes us. It shames us. And many people today, they hide from the gospel because of the sense of shame that they feel. Why, why would God love me? Why would God be interested in me? You know, my life is not good. And so people hide and we need to show them they don't need to hide because God is a God who is filled with forgiveness. He loves the unlovely. He loves the person who's made up. He loves those that have failed. His heart is always towards all people, no matter what their history might be. But a warning to us is that Jesus said, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days... The Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. That's a challenging statement. We need to live out our conviction concerning the good news. And by the help of the Holy Spirit, we can. You won't do it in your own strength. 
you'll fail. But the Holy Spirit was given primarily that we should be witnesses. Jesus said in Acts 1, you will receive the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses. That's why the Holy Spirit was given. So that we can share the truth of Jesus, not in our own strength, but in the power that comes by his Spirit. Daniel Holland, who came a few weeks ago, he said this, witness, it's like a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it gets. Now, in a moment, I want you just to talk to your neighbours about three questions, but I just want to ask us, this is a great church. New Life Church is a great church. We love it. We love being together. We are blessed. We're encouraged. It's a great church. But what kind of church do we want it to be? Because that prophetic word said about becoming a new wineskin. God doesn't want us to be fossilized, where we just say, this is nice. Let's keep it as it is. Let it remain. We don't No. God wants us to be constantly changing so that we can bring his transformation through our lives. So what kind of church should we be? An elephant or a rabbit church? An elephant is sexually mature at 18 years of age. Gestation takes two plus years and about one elephant is produced every seven years. Rabbits are sexually mature at four months. Gestation takes about 22 days, and on average, seven rabbits are born per litter. In seven years, time it takes for one elephant, rabbits have the potential to reproduce 476 million times. So what kind of Christians should we be? Elephants or rabbits? Now, don't go away saying, I called you a rabbit this morning or an elephant. <laughs> but you understand the difference. And maybe more rabbits are produced because it's something to do with the food, food chain in nature, perhaps. I don't know. But you get the point. We are here for a purpose. And if God didn't want you to be someone who carried his good news then the moment you got saved, he'd have caused you to explode and go straight to heaven. But the reason why God has not called you to heaven yet is because he still wants to use you to carry the good news of the gospel. So, three questions, just for a couple of minutes. What would help us to have a greater sense of obligation to share the gospel? Will it be a little card? Might it be something? How can our passion be motivated so that we can take every opportunity to share the gospel? How can we increase our conviction that everyone should hear the gospel? Just talk with the people around you about that. And then I want you just to pray. Pray, God, will you give me a greater understanding of what my obligation is and to whom I need to speak when that opportunity arises? God, will you stir that passion within me for those who don't know you? And will you help us as a church to have an increased conviction that the reason why New Life Church Winchester exists is to bring your love to the lost.
Will you just talk for a few minutes and then just pray for each other as I hand back to Sanjay. Thank you.